Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing Justice is on. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Lieutenant Joe Pangaro here on Chasing Justice. We're on scene today in beautiful Long Island, New York. Yeah, you wouldn't think to yourself, you know, if you don't know Long Island, you, you know you've always heard about it, Long Island. Uh, is it really a, a nice place? Is it beautiful? Is it not beautiful? Well, I can tell you, I'm, I'm surprised that I spend a lot of time here. After I retired from law enforcement, I became a school security director. Uh, I teach and train uh, police officers, school people, and all kinds of people. I ended up with a company uh, in Long Island, you know, and I, I live in Jersey. And my whole life, uh, I never spent a lot of time in Long Island. Uh, I think I passed through one town maybe once going through New York. I don't ever remember going to Long Island. I always heard about Long Island. What I knew most about it when you're on the Jersey Shore is, uh, you know, Long Island iced teas, where they take uh, 27 different kinds of liquors and they mix them together. And uh, you drink them and they taste like a fruity, fruity deliciousness. Uh, you have three or four of them, and uh, it turns out really bad for you because uh, they're they're really potent. The only other thing I knew about Long Island was that there were a bunch of New York girls that came down to the Jersey Shore, and we knew, oh, they're from Long Island. They would say, we're yeah, from Long Island, you know? Uh, well, let me tell you about this place. It's, it's interesting. The reason I'm on scene here is uh, I just did a big uh, training uh, event. Uh, we're training some new instructors in my company because we do a thing called Symtactics. Symtactics is electronic, it's digital tabletop training, all right? So that, that's a lot to say. But if, if you're familiar with tabletop training, tabletop training is used, used in law enforcement, schools, businesses, lots of places. And what you do with tabletop training is that you come up with some scenario that you want your team Whoever your team is, coworkers, security people, management people, whatever it is, you come up with uh, something you want to practice or work on or you're concerned about, uh, a process or something in your business or whatever, and you sit around a big table, and that's why they call it table topping, you sit around a big table and somebody comes up with a scenario. Uh, well, in the work that I'm in, emergency services, emergency preparedness, a lot of times we will talk about what to do in an event of some kind of an emergency, a weather emergency, an active shooter event, uh, some other kind of natural disaster or man-made uh, disaster type of thing. And you sit around and you'll come up with these scenarios. Now, what's really good about it is that if you have a large team of people that would be involved in whatever the event was, and you come up with this scenario, you get lots of different ideas from people on your team, you know, uh, to try and work the problem. Uh, and often we sit around and we try and work out a problem. So here's an example. If we were to do a tabletop on an active shooter in the workplace, and I'm the manager of the business, and I have my key assistant managers around the table, I'd say, okay, what would we do if somebody walked in the front door of the business and they had a gun and they started shooting? And then each team member would think about that scenario, picture it, and then say, well, uh, we would maybe uh, call a lockdown, or maybe we would uh, try and get everybody to flee out a back door, or maybe we would get people to hide under a desk, or whatever, whatever things we'd come up with. And now maybe somebody says, well, we couldn't flee out the back door, because remember, the back door uh, has, is sealed because of whatever problem. And I'm making this stuff up. And we all didn't realize 
that the back door was sealed. Oh, so then we start to make notes. Hey, remember in an emergency, we have to tell everybody, don't go out the back door because it's sealed. So that's a good thing. Information came out of your table topping uh, that helps you manage a real event. So uh, another really good example was I went to a, uh, a large newspaper and they were concerned about workplace violence. And I taught about 300 employees how to respond to an active shooter. Now, what was funny, and I don't mean funny, ha-ha, I mean funny, strange about this, is that they all worked on a single floor, these 300 people, in little cubicles uh, next to each other where they, I guess, wrote stories and edited stuff, whatever. And there was four exits out of the room, the front entrance, uh, uh, two in the back, and one to the far right, if you can picture, picture this listening to me. And I taught everybody... Uh, that in an event of, uh, you know, an, uh, an active shooter, you would, hear, you would hear gunshots or you'd hear something you didn't recognize, and you'd probably want to get up and go sooner rather than later if that's your only option to do it. So I trained everybody, and they said they knew what to do, and we, we looked around their floor where they worked, and I pointed out the four exits, and I said, you'd want to, uh, you know, gauge the event, and if, the, if you hear the shooter in the hallway behind you, then you'd certainly want to try and leave this building. I gave them good instruction. And then we ran a live event. We put everybody at their desks, and we sent in a role player uh, who was screaming and hollering. He had an airsoft gun, which is like a, a plastic BB gun, and he's screaming and hollering, and everyone decides to take off. Well, here's what was strange, strange funny, is that there was four entrances. So the bad guy came through the front entrance, which left you with three exits. Almost everybody in that floor went to the uh, back left exit. Now, you can imagine 300 people heading for a doorway uh, for a set of stairs to get out. The first few people got out. Everyone else bottlenecked and could not get out at all. And the shooter uh, was able to take many victims at that point. And when we debriefed, I looked around the room. I, I froze everybody. Okay, stop the action. I looked around, and about 10 people went to the back right exit and got out of the building. Two people went to the uh, right front exit and got out, and about another 10 people hid underneath their desks. The other majority of everybody else was, was all bottlenecked at that one particular thing. And we debriefed, and I said, why did you people bottleneck? Why did you all go to one doorway? And what they said was, well, when, when we saw the active shooter, I got scared and I ran to the way that I always run, and that was the consensus. They always went to that back left exit. That's how they got out to the parking lot. So when there was an emergency, they ran to that back exit. They bottlenecked, and if it was a real event, we would have lost a lot of people. I asked the other people, why'd you go the other way? They said, well, we realized when we saw the bottleneck, uh, we're not going to get out, and the guy's coming. We can hear him coming. Turned around, and I saw the other exit, so I ran in a different direction. When I asked the people under the desk, why are you under the desk? They said, well, we saw the bottleneck, didn't think about the other exits, and then decided, well, we can't get out with all those people there. We better hide. So they ducked under their, their desks. And you say to yourself, wow, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty crazy. So the whole idea is I'm trying to draw this together. The reason I'm on Long Island, it turned into a lengthier story, is that um, the table topping is great for people to voice their opinion and bring out information. And in a tabletop about the newspaper, they would have realized that we shouldn't all go the same door. We should go to different doors, not bottleneck. That would have been good. Um, but there's no real, um, there's no realism in a tabletop exercise. You simply talk through the problem, right? You say, well, we could do this. I would do this. Why don't we do this? 
which is all very, very good, but there's no realism and there's no stress on the players because uh, they, they, nothing's really happening to them. They're just talking about something. So I, I, I got this software, and it is digital electronic tabletop training, and we call it Sim Tactics for Simulated Tactics. Uh, it's emergency uh, training. So what we do with this is we, we devise a scenario, much like a regular tabletop, and we upload it into the system. And I come up with all of these different uh, things that could happen, like uh, take an active shooter. There's a mother in the parking lot. She has an appointment with the principal, and she sees a young man walking to the front of the school with a gun. So she calls the school to warn them. Well, that's a, uh, that's a we record a call of someone calling, right? We actually record a call going, oh, my God, I'm in the parking lot. I see a kid with a gun coming to the school. And that's called uh, an inject, which is something we inject into the exercise. Then I record um, security guards telling each other, you know, to lock down. Where is the person? Maybe you get an intercom call. Maybe there's uh, calls coming into the police. Maybe somebody's calling 911. And we record all of these things. So then all the members of your team that you want to train, instead of sitting around a table and talking uh, about what would do, what they would do, they all go on their computers and they log into the software. Once they log in, a game runner, the person who's running the exercise, starts the exercise by sending uh, a text message to everybody that's there. So you might have your security team, your management team, whatever. And they all get a message uh, and they hear there's a recording of the mother calling the school. There's a kid outside with a gun. Well, that's very stressful because you're hearing someone's voice. It's in real time. And here's what's different. In electronic table topping, now you actually have to do something immediately because there's a clock running, just like in a real event. We're not just sitting around talking about it because the next inject or action comes in where you hear a, uh, an intercom call of someone in the office screaming that there's a guy with a gun just shot the glass and he's in the school. He's shooting at people, right? Now you have to react. If you're the principal, the head of security, if you are an assistant principal, whatever, you have to start reacting to these uh, these events that are taking place. And we keep building them. We keep building them uh, so that people have to do different things, different security. Do they evacuate? Do they lock down? Where do they lock down? And we, and we keep adding it up. It, gets, it can get very stressful because, like I said, there's no time to sit around and talk. You have to know your plans. You have to know what you should do in any event. And these things just keep coming at you just like a real event. When it's all done, there's actually artificial intelligence built in to the software. And what it does, it analyzes what every person did during the scenario. And it gives you all kinds of great data points. So one of the best data points is a, uh, is a heat map of the pressure each person who was involved in the training was under. So say I was, I was the, uh, the principal and I'm the one who's gonna lead the event. That's what would happen in a real event. The principal would tell everybody what to do. And we start to look at the, uh, the timeline, and we can see that I go from color blue, which is manageable, blue means there's no pressure on me, to then things start to happen, like we get a call that somebody just shot out the glass. Now people are calling me to tell me I have to make calls. Now my color goes to yellow, maybe it goes to red. Red means at that point I was unable to actually run the event anymore. There was too much information coming to me. There were too many requirements of, requirements of me that I couldn't manage the event. So what that tells you, in, and it does this for every person in the, in the uh, exercise. Every person gets a color map of, of how stressed they were under pressure. 
And when you start to see that your management team, the people you'd be counting on to make the calls here, were under so much stress, they couldn't, they couldn't do more things, they were overwhelmed, you realize that any plan you have would not actually work in the real world. That's the value of this. So then you go back and you can change your plans. Maybe you delegate more authority to other people that maybe the principal, instead of taking every email, every phone call, every single thing to make decisions, maybe you assign an assistant principal to get all that information and go through it and then send to the principal just what that uh, assistant principal thinks is the most important so that the principal can make decisions. Now everybody's color comes down from red and overloaded, maybe to yellow where it's stressful, but you can still make calls. The next analytic that it looks at is it shows a communication uh, pattern, right? So it shows a communication graph. And in this one, like I said, we expect that the principal would be the one making all the calls. Well, when we look at the communication graph, we find out that during the actual event, the principal was not the one making most of the calls. The person making most of the calls was the, uh, the manager of the custodial department. And you say, well, why would the manager of the custodial department be making all the calls? Because the principal was tied up on other stuff under too much pressure. So the manager of the custodians saw what was going on, heard what was going on, and started making calls. So that tells you uh, maybe you need to change who's in command. Maybe you should make it the custodian if it went really well. Uh, and I'm, I'm saying that then that's the individual decisions people make. Then it gives you another graphic of a word salad. And it tells you what words were being used the most by all the people in the exercise. And the bigger the word is in the graphic, the more it was used. And you can click on any single word and it will take you right to that time frame in the exercise uh, when, when that word was being used the most and you can see what was going on and why were people talking about, you know, uh, mud boots? Why was everybody talking about mud boots in the middle of an active shooter event? And then you can go back and find out from your people why that was important. So it gives a ton, a ton of, uh, of data. So it's, it's called SimTactics, and it's available for anybody out there. Uh, we do it for schools, businesses, churches, everywhere. But the reason I was on Long Island, see, I'm getting back to that the third time today, is that uh, one of the offices we have is in Long Island, and we invited some new instructors in. These are uh, retired police personnel uh, that are very capable. They were high-ranking people in their agencies, very intelligent. And what they are going to do is they're going to be the game facilitators or the exercise facilitators. Uh, and I had to bring them in and train them and get them certified to be understand how to run the exercises, how to set them up, how to create the scenarios, and then how to who actually execute the exercise, how to put in the injects and how to monitor people in this and that. So that brought me to my office in Long Island. Boy, that was a long way getting here, wasn't it? Uh, and so that's the point was that's why I was here. But I have to tell you... Um, like I said, I didn't spend a lot of time on Long Island, and it's funny, the North Shore of Long Island is completely different than the South Shore of Long Island. There's just a difference to the towns. The North Shore seems a lot more like New England. So if you've ever been up to Rhode Island, um, Massachusetts, uh, New Hampshire-ish area, the North Shore seems more like that, boating communities, uh, beautiful facilities. The South Shore is a lot more beachy. You know, there's lots of big beaches there, there's more, uh, there's more industrial areas, um, or more urban areas, you can go from one neighborhood in Long Island that is uh, very urbanized, lots and lots of people live in there, and then you go to the next town and it's million dollar homes, literally the next town over, million dollar homes, then the town after that is rural, and then the town after that again is uh, lots and lots of people. 
So I find it very interesting here. Uh, and then I've been out to the East End, okay? I had to go out, uh, you know, we all heard about the Hamptons, you know, oh, the rich and wealthy and famous go to the Hamptons uh, in the summer. And it, it, it's really beautiful uh, when you get to the East End of Long Island. Uh, and that's where the Hamptons are. So I've been out there a couple times, uh, absolutely unbelievable mansions that are out there. And uh, it's, it's very, uh, very quaint. There's bed and breakfasts, there's vineyards. They have vineyards in Long Island. They actually have wine in, in Long Island. So this is, uh, this is why I am here today. And I come out here quite a lot, much more than I ever thought in my life. Uh, we have the joke around my house that if, if you would have told me uh, five years ago, that I would be coming to Long Island at least once a week, I would have been less surprised if I woke up with my tongue stapled to the rug. Uh, and that, of course, is from uh, the, the Chevy Chase line in the, in the Christmas movie. But I would have been less surprised to wake up with my tongue stapled to the rug than if you would have told me five years ago, Joe, you're going to spend a lot of time in Long Island. So that's why I'm here today. That's why I'm on location. So now that we've covered Joe's itinerary for the last couple of days, uh, I want to I want to talk about some things that are going on in general, crime and punishment. This seems to be a topic that uh, is getting much much more attention every single day as crime rises in many of our cities, uh, especially our more progressive cities where we have uh, prosecutors who will not prosecute criminals. They will release them with no bail. They will no matter what they do. They put them right back out on the street where they commit more crimes because criminals commit crimes, right? And that's what they do. So one of the things, I'm asking some people, uh, and I'm saying, so what, what, is this, what is the purpose of that? Why would we do that? And they're saying, well, it's about equity. And I said, what do you mean equity? Well, in the past, uh, groups of people were, were arrested and charged with lots of crimes and spent lots of time in jail. So therefore, we're going to give those people a bigger break. Uh, in the future. We're not going to arrest them. We're not going to put them in jail. We're going to let, you know, kind of let it go uh, so that it, we make life more fair in general. And I said, okay, I kind of get that concept. I don't, I don't agree with it. I don't think it, I don't think it actually makes anything better for anybody uh, because no matter who's being victimized, no matter which communities are being victimized, there are innocent people being victimized. And now we're seeing crime in every community all over the place increasing, no matter where you live. Uh, you say, oh, I live in a hoity-toity place. Well, there's crime now there, there too, and it's, uh, it's getting worse. So recently in, uh, in New York, there was a, a famous case that's uh, gained a lot of attention, garnered a lot of attention, where uh, a gentleman probably in his early 60s was working in a uh, bodega, or a bogota, as uh, Jill Biden would say, working in a bogota, and uh, apparently he was selling some food to a young lady and she had a little baby there, and she wanted to buy potato chips for the little baby, and she was using an EBT card, which is, um, I guess that's like a food stamp kind of card, and she didn't have enough money uh, for the potato chips. So the guy who owns a store, you know, uh, he reached down and he took the potato chips out of the little kid's hand and said, you don't have enough money to buy it. I'm not giving you. I'm not here to give away food, you know, sorry. And then she says, uh, you know, to the, to the guy running the store, you know, I can't believe you did that. She curses at him, this and that. And she says, uh, I'm going out to get my boyfriend and he's going to come back in and he's going to F you up. Well, a few minutes later, uh, this much younger man comes in, goes behind the counter uh, of the bodega or the bogota, Jill, um, and starts 
you know, throws this guy up against the wall, slaps him around, pushes him, um, and starts to grab him, and basically says to the guy, I'm taking you outside, I'm going to take you outside. I guess he was going to beat him up. Well, as he's being dragged from behind the counter of his store, uh, you know, the employee area, he grabs a knife, and in self-defense, he stabs this guy several times. One of them, he gets the guy in the neck, and he gets his juggler vein, and the dude ended up bleeding out and dying. Well, the prosecutor, this guy named Bragg in New York here, who is uh, uh, vowed to uh, help criminals and go against the you know innocent people and not worry about victims, he charged the man running the store with murder and put put two hundred fifty thousand dollars bail on him and threw him in jail. Now. In New York, you can murder a bunch of people, and they're, they're going to give you no bail and send you out of here. But this particular guy, a victim, how dare he fight back? And uh, they put him in jail. Well, there was a lot of pressure across multiple communities who saw this man as a victim, the, the man who was put in jail as a victim. He got attacked. He didn't do anything wrong. This younger man came into the store, went behind the counter, started assaulting him, and was dragging him outside. He could easily have killed this guy. They saw this as this was absolutely self-defense, that we, we don't have to just sit back and take a beating from criminals. Well, there was enough pressure put on the district attorney that he finally um, dropped the charges because there was a judge who was hearing the, uh, I guess, the, the probable cause for the warrant or whatever, uh, and the judge didn't see it as uh, a homicide. He saw it as self-defense and he made some comments, so the prosecutor finally dropped the charge. They went and dropped the charge and released a man from, from jail and said that it, was, uh, it actually was uh, self-defense, that a grand jury would not indict the man, so they dropped the charge. This is an amazing thing to have happen. Um, and we're starting to see backlash. We're starting to see backlash of this, this crime all over the country. The, the San Francisco DA... Uh, who was, uh, his parents were big socialist, uh, anti-social people. Um, he was removed from office on a recall. The Gascon, which is the prosecutor in Los Angeles, who's allowing people to run wild committing crime, uh, he's up for recall, and they have enough votes now, and they just passed a milestone part of that process where he's probably going to be removed from office, which is a good thing. Uh, we have these people that, that allow this kind of crime um, to take place, and you're going to have a society where uh, the innocent people can't walk in their neighborhoods. I mean, how many cases have we all heard and seen? And these are just the ones that make the news, where somebody uh, gets beaten or somebody visiting the city uh, gets killed or something that's happening. Or It doesn't matter what city. It's happening all across the country. So that, I thought, was uh, an, interesting, an interesting thing that happened um, with this murder charge being dropped because it really, really was... Um, really was crazy to watch. What are you supposed to? You are supposed to just take a beating, take a stabbing. You get and oh, that's the other part of the story. While this uh, bodega worker guy was being dragged out of the store by the younger man who was threatening to beat him up in the street, the guy's girlfriend, the one who initially wanted the potato chips, she had a knife and she stabbed the store owner in the arm. I believe she was not charged with anything. In this whole thing, she was not charged with anything at all. So how do you square that? How do you say to yourself, that makes good sense to me? Um, a guy defending himself should go to prison. Uh, we should feel bad for the, for the, the victim. And, of course, the, uh, the guy who got killed uh, was a repeat offender. Uh, he was out on bail for some other charge. Um, 
So it, it, it's just absurd. You can't live like this. Again, we talk about it. This is not sustainable way of living. We, we can't go on like this. And uh, it's going to have to come to uh, some, type of a, some type of a head. So who's going to do that? Who's going to bring it to a head? Who, who does that? Well, you and me do that. In November, we go to the polls and we vote for other people. And you got to say to yourself, are you a reasonable person or are you just a, a uh, partisan that no matter what, I'm voting for my party, even if your party is in charge currently and everything is horrific because of your party's policies, but you're going to go in there and pull that lever for them anyway. Is that really, is that really a smart thing to do, um, to keep voting for stuff that destroys your city, that uh, puts you in danger, that ruins your economy, that, that creates inflation? Is that really a smart thing to do? Or maybe the smart thing to do would be to go, gee, my guys really screwed this up. Um, I didn't like the orange man, but the policies he had were much better than what we're living under now. Maybe I should vote for the other party uh, and, and try something different. You, you think that would be a, a wake-up call to people? Well, I was having a conversation with uh, people from uh, New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, and New Hampshire. Uh, and we were all talking about the current state of life and what's going on in our country. And a couple of the people there were uh, under the impression during the last election that Joe Biden was the, was the right person to vote for because he seemed like an older man, he seemed stable, he had been around politics his whole life, that it had to be better than the daily onslaught of the orange man. Uh, and I said, well, do you realize the orange man didn't actually do anything that made it a constant drumbeat? It was the media who, who came after him day and night and still to this day. Every, the prosecutors are looking at it for this, looking at it for that. They're trying to find some way to ruin this January 6th thing is all about getting rid of Trump so he can't run again. It still hasn't stopped. I said, Did you, do, you, do you not realize that, you know, just because somebody tells you they're going to do one thing, you have to look at what's the history of, of how this person does things? And couldn't you have seen that, that Joe Biden wasn't going to be better? Could you have seen that? No matter what you thought about Trump. Wasn't it clear to you? And this is where sometimes I get lost because it, it, some of these things just seem so clear to me um, that no matter what somebody says, you got to look at the party that they're in. What does their party do? What have they done in the past? They're going to do that again in the future. So anyway, this conversation was interesting in that uh, a couple of the people in the group who said, yeah, you know, I did like it better under Trump. I didn't like all the, the nonsense with him in the media every day. I didn't want to hear about it every day. So I decided to vote for Biden because I thought, you know, he would be stable and calm and he wouldn't. What could he do? What could he really do other than he would calm things down and we would get along better? That's what he really believed. And I said, and what do you think now? And he says, well, I got to admit it. I got to actually admit it. It was a wrong choice. I said, well, how can you admit? He says, because I'm not a partisan. I vote what's best for my family and my country. And I really believe that Joe Biden would would take the the. Um, take the, the stress level everybody was under down he would calm it down and that's why I voted him but right you know right now I see that I was wrong my vote was wrong and I, I, I was really part of destroying the the country so I can't wait for the next election I'm gonna vote the other way and see if we can bring back some normalcy and bring down some prices and be energy and oh you know all the things we know uh, that policies 
will make a difference in. So that, that, was, uh, that was my uh, initial hi, how are you in Long Island today, what I was doing out here, and some of the conversation. We'll be back in a minute with more here on Chasing Justice. All right, you've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the pulpidone iodine-based nasal spray, Cofix RX. They talk about it because it's a product that actually works in combating colds, flus, and coronaviruses. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. It's simple. By attacking viruses where they incubate, you make it easier for your body to heal. Check out the Cofix RX banner ad on AmericaOutloud.com and save 20% by using promo code OUTLOUD. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep can be infuriating. Your mind races. You toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's digital age makes it even harder. You're not alone with this struggle. Poor sleep affects over 70% of Americans. Even the Centers for Disease Control label insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. To take back your sleep, Healthy Cell has created REM Sleep, the only sleep supplement made to support all four stages of human sleep with calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support delivered in a patent-pending, pill-free, ultra-absorption microgel formula that tastes great. Fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up refreshed with Healthy Cell's REM sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day, yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. All right, everybody, welcome back to Chasing Justice here on the America Out Loud Radio Network. Hey, listen, uh, I got to tell you real quick, if you're looking to do something to help uh, improve your health, to maintain uh, your immune system, to keep fighting back the evil COVID, which is making another comeback, uh, as we see, monkeypox is on the rise. Any day now, we're going to start hearing more and more about this monkeypox, where we're going to have to, what, face mask up, shut down, go to the polls and drop off uh, your boats uh, to a ballot box and uh, no rules. Uh, You see it coming? I see it coming. Um, but right now, uh, Healthy Cell, the immune boost product, you hear it on the, on the network here. Uh, it's really, really good. And I'm telling you, uh, it helps me. And if you're looking for something to help your immune system, I would say, give it a try. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. I found it very helpful for me. I've, I haven't felt, uh, maintaining my health this easily, uh, for the past, bunch of years. I, I used to get a lot of colds and I haven't gotten a lot. Uh, and anything I got gives, goes away real quick. So I would say take a look at Healthy Cell, the immune boost. And if you're having trouble sleeping, they have sleeping uh, stuff to help you get some good uh, REM sleep so you can get a good night's sleep. And I mention it because I care about you out there in my audience. And uh, I found this works for me, so I'm passing it on to you. Right, so the Roe versus Wade decision, it, it's reverberating. 
it's reverberating uh, all over the place. We see protests are happening. Not very big protests, though. Uh, isolated packs of protests. So this brings us down to the question of what are we going to see when people go into the voting booth? Is it going to make a big difference? I know right now um, those who are pro-abortion are trying to you know, gin up their, their base to, to go vote, uh, to make sure Democrats are in charge so that we, they can make um, legal abortion everywhere, uh, you know. Um, and then pro-life people are, you know, trying to uh, maintain what what it is. If your state wants it, they'll do it. If your state don't want it, you won't do it. And it, it's 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 not as intense as I imagined it would have been. But uh, you know, as we get closer, the ads are going to start. You know, you're going to see the stories. The media is going to jump all over this and, and start showing you stories. They keep using that uh, that poor ten year old girl that was sexually assaulted and pregnant. Uh, they keep using her as, now this 10-year-old girl was victimized once and now she's going to be victimized again by having to have a baby. Um, you know, they're not cutting her legs off. Um, it's having a baby. And it's very difficult, I'm sure, for a 10-year-old little girl. She's not physically prepared for it. And if uh, if her state allowed her to abort her child, um, then she'd be able to do it. Um, if, if her parents and her didn't think this was a safe decision or her doctors didn't think it was safe and her state allows it, then they, they would be able to do that because abortion is still around. So we see, uh, you know, who is it? Uh, Prince Harry. I don't really, you know, I think the royal family uh, in England is, a, is, an, is an institution that's, you know, neat. It's kind of neat because it's historical. But I don't care about them, uh, you know, what they have to say. They're, they're just very, very wealthy people, and their job is to bring tourism to the United Kingdom, and they do that pretty well. Well, we're starting to see a lot of them are getting wacky. You know, we're seeing a lot of these people uh, you know, whacking out with uh, the, these. They're not being very traditional, most of them. What we've seen is Prince Harry uh, and, his, and his wife. Uh, they left England and now they're over in the United States. So he gives a speech, I think it was at the United Nations the other day, we were supposed to be talking about Nelson Mandela and, and the good things Nelson Mandela did uh, in his life. And he goes into this whole tirade about how America uh, is, has got all these problems and America you know, is racist and America is you know, the root of all these problems. Uh, ridiculous. And people are, are going after this guy saying, well, you, know, you, you may live here. And that's good if you have if you did the right thing to get here. You have the right paperwork and you whatever you filed correctly, whatever you had to do. If you're here legally, good for you. Uh, like all immigrants, if they come here and do it legally, welcome aboard. Um, you know, do something good for the country. But this guy comes out, and he starts bad mouthing the United States, and he's only been here for you know a couple of months. This is kind of ridiculous. But he's out there talking about abortion, saying that the the court decision in America to overturn Roe versus Wade is an attack on democracy. It's a it's a very attack on democracy. Do you notice that our friends on the left, uh, they're constantly talking about an attack on democracy. Um, but it's kind of funny when the, when the things that they they talk about are an attack on democracy, like the court saying this was not a proper decision, it should go back to the states where it's supposed to be decided. That's not destroying democracy. That's emboldening democracy. It's it's working the constitution the way it's supposed to work. Uh, when it comes to uh, to gun rights, you know, uh, maintaining the Second Amendment is specifically enumerated in the constitution, and sticking up for that. Uh, is oh my God, that's uh, you're destroying democracy. So they, they seem to be backwards on all of these things that are not really destroying democracy. They're upholding democracy. 
what they don't like is that their progressive agenda is being slowed down and they think their progressive agenda is actually democracy. And like we've said how many times here and in, in all other uh, pundits I hear talking about it, we are about a 50-50 split people. Half of us are liberal, half of us are conservative, and we all think the other side is wrong. But we have to ask the question, honestly, if we do the things that the conservatives want to do, will that hurt us or help us? Will we have a stronger country, stronger family, stronger place in the world, or a weaker place? If it's weaker, then I'd say we don't do those things. Just like we look at our friends on the left, the liberals, we go, if we do the things the liberals want to do, will our country be better off? Will our families be better off? Will our lives be better off if we do the things the liberals want? And because we, we are so so polarized and and we only see party and we can't give in an inch to the other side. I will not concede anything to the other side because I just hate them. We don't we don't go anywhere. We don't get anything done. So let's look at the two. Uh, we now we now have clear examples of a Republican conservative uh, administration and policies, and we have a liberal uh, uh, administration and their policies, and we see how they've developed. Which way are we actually better under? I mean, great Rinaldus Magnus, Ronald Reagan. Are you better off now than you were four years ago? Ask that question. And what is different? What is, what is different other than the guy who's the president, you know, whether it was Trump or, or Biden, other than you switched out somebody else for president, what is different? Well, the policies are different. The policies are completely different. And are we better off with one set of policies as opposed to another? Well, I, I can't look at things clearly and be honest with myself and say, things are better off now. They're not. They're just not. Just like my friend from New Hampshire who was saying, listen, I thought Biden would be better, and it turns out he's not better. Um, this isn't working out. We have this ridiculous inflation that's really a drain. If you got a 2% raise last year, you might have think you were doing well. But the inflation rate is 9 so you're losing 7%. You're behind where you were three, four years ago. You know, gasoline, $5. Oh, it came, it came down 50 cents. It came down 50 cents. Well, that's good. And if, if Biden had anything to do with that coming down 50 cents, I would applaud him. Good job, Mr. President. You're making it go the other way. Um, and we, but we can see there's market forces involved. People are not driving as much. You know, you can't fill your car up for $125 every week. So you make that gas go longer. You don't drive around so much. You don't go places. You don't do things. You know, there's a lot of factors involved in it. Um, but the inflation rate, 40-something year high, what things are costing you, and that hurts lots and lots of people. That digs into your money that you would spend on your house, on your car, on your family. Look at the interest rates. The housing market is really one of the, one of the main uh, economic indicators that really drives our economy. When young people can buy their first house, when people who have a home can upgrade to a bigger house, a better house, uh, more things, we go out to the stores and we buy things. We buy, we redo remodels. We buy new laundry machines. We do dishwashers. We buy uh, new kitchens. We upgrade things. You put in a pool that, that puts jobs for everybody, for all these people in the housing industry. When you shut that down, all those plumbers and electricians and cable people and uh, people who do tile work and people do roof work, all of that starts to disappear. So. When, when the market was red hot a year ago and you put your house on the market and say you wanted 400000 for your house, uh, you know, your bids came in. You sold your house for 460 470 because people were, were, there was 20 people bidding to buy your house. 
Well, that's when interest rates were two and a half, three percent, right? That made great sense. You could buy a lot more house for a lot less money. Your monthly payment was much more reasonable to you. You could certainly handle it. Now, what do we look at now? Interest rates are up to five and six, and they're going to go to seven. And uh, the Fed is going to ratchet up uh, prime rate another full point. That means mortgage rates are going to go up to eight and nine. Your credit card rates that are adjustable are going to go up. People are going to stop buying, stop consuming, right? Who is, who is it said years ago, our Democrat friend? Too much consuming going on out there, right? Uh, and I got that from Russia's show. He used to say that. Um, yeah, so the economy is starting to slow down. I know lots of people in the construction industry. And a year ago, they were booked absolutely solid. They could not take on jobs. Anybody try and get a plumber or an electrician or a, a tile guy in the last year? Uh, yeah, they come by. Maybe they'll come by and give you an estimate, but they're not getting to you for a long time. I'm talking to my friends now in the industry, and they're all like, well, uh, the jobs are no longer backlogged. Um, another month or two, and I will probably be free. I'll be done with all my backlog, and I'll be able to get to your job. I'm saying, well, um, I don't have the money right now for that job. Uh, you know, things tightened up. I'm paying more for, for my groceries and my gasoline, so I don't have money to do uh, the tile on the floor I was going to do. And I think that's been repeated by many people. And then, of course, that's what, that's what starts the tumble effect downhill for the economy. Uh, people are out of work. They start, we're, always, we're already seeing... Uh, businesses laying people off because they realize there's no demand for their product and there's no demand uh, up ahead. So what are we going to do there? How, how are we going to deal this? Where, where is this going? So it's about looking at the policy. Are you better off under liberal policies or are you better off under conservative policies? I look at it very clearly, not being a partisan. Uh, it happens to be I'm a more conservative person. Uh, and I say very clearly, the country, everybody was under, it was under much better conditions under conservative policy. Now, if you're a person sitting out there going, I don't care, I'll pay $10 a gallon, I don't need, the, I'll run the country in the ground, I don't want that orange guy back. Um, you gotta really look yourself in the mirror and say, uh, what about your neighbors, your family, your friends, your grandchildren? You want them to live horrible because you don't like a guy, right? Because you don't like a guy? You know, maybe the guy changes his ways. Maybe he learns to not run his mouth so much, make people not so annoyed, I don't know. But his policies were really good. Or maybe some other conservative politician will run and their policies will, will be ultimately better and will be better off. But it's going to take a long time to recover out of this. You know, it's not going to be as quick recovery as it was downfall. So we, we need to think about that. Um, our politicians. So what did we see on the news recently? I thought it was pretty funny. AOC and some of the squad members were all, uh, they were at some big protest at the Supreme Court. Of course, you know, there's the Supreme Court is bad, 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 because uh, their decision is so bad. Um, and she didn't get arrested. AOC did not get arrested. But in all the pictures of her being escorted away, she's got her hands behind her back as though she's been arrested because she wanted that image of, look what's happening to me. I got arrested for the cause and I'm doing it. She didn't get arrested. She put her hands behind her back to pretend she was arrested. So I find that to be uh, really, really pretty crazy. So I, I kind of deviated from my thought. And let me circle back to, uh, to the Roe versus Wade decision. Now, what we hear from both sides is that your point of view is radical. You have a radical point of view, right? Don't our friends on the left say that uh, the court decision is a radical removal from uh, freedom and justice and you're, you're subjugating people and you're taking away rights and it's a horrible thing. And then people on the right say, well, 
your ideas of, of abortion is not a case of incest or rape. It shouldn't be limited and, and uh, you know, infrequent, as they used to say. Now, the baby can be born, and then you can kill it. That's pretty radical, if you ask me. You know, and, and I get, we've talked about this before, I, I kind of get there can be times that people could see that that is, that is what they want to do, and they can certainly go do it. Um, I think every life is precious. Uh, I think there is a God, and I think God wants life to be protected uh, from natural birth, from natural conception till natural death. But that's how I believe. I can't expect everybody to believe that. But recently, um, Coach Jim Bar- Harbaugh um, came out, and he made a statement. He's at Michigan University. And he came out, he made a, a statement about what he believes about the abortion uh back and forth between everybody, who's right and who's wrong. And I'm going to quote from him. He says, and now remember, I'm going to preface this with, they've said that his position is radical. Uh, He's a radical with this position. Here's what he said. I believe in having the courage to let the unborn be born. I love life. I believe in having a loving care and respect for life and death. My faith and science are what drives me in these beliefs in me. Quoting Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now, well, what, what, what is radical about that? Well, he's a radical religious person believing in his God and this, this Bible. You know, he's radical. That's ridiculous. None of that's real. And he's, going, he's making his decisions based on that 2,000-year-old book, right? That's what, that's what they're attacking. But when I read those lines, I believe in having the courage to let the unborn be born. I love life. I believe in having a loving care and respect for life and death. That commentary is is radical. I, I don't see that as radical. I, that, to me, that seems pretty decent thing to say. He loves life. He loves babies. And he thinks life should be life. On the other side, we can get people who are saying, you know, abortion abortion, tri, a third trimester to abortion, you know, deliver the baby's head and then suck out his brains. Compare the two. Compare the two. Which one is radical? That's all I'm trying to say. You know, if people feel that they need to, to do that, uh, there are places that they can do it. And it's legal. And if that's what they want to do, they're going to do it. Um, if you want that in your state, then you vote for people that are going to turn that into law. And uh, just like in the states where abortion is still legal, New Jersey, one of them, New York, uh, you can get all the abortions you want in New York and New Jersey. No one is doing anything. Other states that are more conservative, um, they're saying, no, we don't want it here, or we want to really limit it. So you may have to move and, and vote with your feet if your vote doesn't do what you do. But I just thought that was interesting. I, I, when I read his words, I was interested to see what, what he had to say. Um, and when you read it, I'm like, they're calling him a radical. Because he has that belief. And I said, what, what's radical? Well, oh, radical because he believes in the, oh, the old white guy with the beard floating around in the sky. Oh, that's why he's radical because he believes in the Bible and God. Okay. Um, which is pretty pretty interesting that we've, we've fallen so far from a country that was um, very religious, no matter what your religion was, um, to a point where it's it's really being debased. Religion is being debased, which is one of the first things you have to do in a socialist society. You can't have uh, people believing in anything other than the state being the deity. So that's uh, that's another side of where we're going with all this. So now let's look around. And as I was looking uh, through the news, the other thing I saw, you know, I talked about the crime before. I don't mean to jump around so much, 
but I have this train of consciousness that's running through my head here. Um, when we saw, you know, the bodega guy uh, be ar- be arrested for protecting himself, and now uh, he's been released and the charges have been dropped, which is good. We saw, you know, the TV show Law and Order is still filming in in New York, and apparently there was a, a crew guy who was there. Uh, at the scene, 5 o'clock in the morning, and he was blocking off parking spaces for all the actors and the crew people to come in and shoot. They have a, a permit to ha- to run the set, right? So they're going to do this. Some guy shot and killed the guy. You know, crazy, crazy guy showed up and killed the guy. So crime is, is just so out of control that um, they said this guy died in a hail of bullets. Uh, he was shot in the head, the, the torso, this and that, because he was doing his job. It's really um, a tough thing. So that kind of leads us into the conversation about uh, does having more people with concealed carry permits uh, all over the place, does that, is that going to make us safer or less safe? Right? That's, that's really the question. So we're trying to figure that out now. Um, currently, like in the Northeast, you can't have a carry permit. You know, you don't have a carry permit. You got to have a really ridiculous go through all these hoops. Well, the Supreme Court said you can't put people through hoops. Uh, people are allowed to have a concealed carry weapon uh, unless they have a criminal history or some other specific uh, prohibition from having a weapon. You got to let them have the weapons. Well, here's what I'm thinking about it. The conversation came up about arming teachers in schools, and is that a good idea? So you say to yourself, let's break it down. If a bad guy gets into the school with a gun and starts shooting people, and there's nobody in there, there's no security, no police, nobody uh, with a weapon to fire back, you basically have sitting ducks. You know, nobody can protect themselves. You have to run, hide, or fight. Uh, And the guy with the gun, or the girl with the gun, can kill people at will. So it would be better to have a couple of armed people in that building, wouldn't it? Have some cops in there, some security that are armed, that could fight back, right? Okay, that kind of makes sense. Um, but the idea of arming the teachers, well, then every teacher would have a gun, right? And a bad guy gets in, boy, you talk about firepower then to, to repel them, to, uh, to keep people safe in a classroom. If a, a bad person came in with a gun, the teacher had a gun, the teacher could fire back. On, in, in concept, it sounds like it makes sense. Here's my concern. Um, just because somebody can have a carry permit doesn't mean they're going to practice properly. There's a difference between target shooting and combat shooting for your life, right? Law enforcement officers, we go through lots and lots of training on combat shooting because you have to know your background and beyond, you know, your target and beyond. You have to gauge. If I pull this trigger, you can't bring that bullet back. And if there's, say there's a shooter in the hallway and there's kids there and you got three teachers that come from three different directions and see the shooter and they all light up the shooter and start shooting, now you got bullets flying all over that hallway. Is there a possibility that you're going to hit innocent people now um, and not just the shooter? I think the reality is yes. You know, would people have enough um, fire control to realize, gee, there's a teacher at the other end of the hall shooting this way. I shouldn't shoot towards that teacher. Uh, Or is everybody just going to open up at one time? Uh, Have they practiced combat shooting so that they they can understand their shot, place their shot properly uh, at the right time? So... When I've been asked about that, I said, listen, I, I kind of get it. I would say if you have somebody in the school who's uh, an administrator, someone who's got a position of authority, um, and they can get trained, 
he or she can have a gun with them at all time. Now you have a good guy, good girl gun in the school with you. If you have former military people who are your teachers, uh, the men and women who are your teachers or administrators, if they were former military, they have a lot of experience with weapons. They understand how to, how to use a weapon. Um, it's not new to them because now they're allowed to do it. I would be comfortable with uh, you know, a good mental screen of each one of those people uh, and then arming them because then you have good guy, good girl guns with experienced people there. Well, the, the general population uh, is going to be armed now. Um, probably 10 years ago, uh, I was writing a local newspaper column I called Behind the Badge, and it was really the whole idea, the premise of the column was for regular people to understand what it's like to be a, a law enforcement officer, what it feels like to go on calls, the good, the bad, the funny, the sad, the family things that you have to go through, all that kind of stuff. I wanted people to understand the life of law enforcement. And one of the things um, that I found interesting is that I'm up in the Northeast where when I stop a car, if I think it's a bad person, they're involved in a robbery, I, I anticipate they have a gun, I take certain precautions. Most average car stops though that officers are making, they're not concerned that the person has a gun. They're aware of it and they're prepared, but they're not concerned about it. It's, it most people don't carry guns around. You're stopping people ran a red light and this and that. I was on vacation down in Florida. And you know, Florida for a long time has been a concealed carry place, uh, open carry, whatever. People carry guns in Florida legally. And I was talking to some cops down there and I said, listen, um, we're talking about this up north and down here, lots and lots of people have guns in their cars. I mean, people you stop for a red light, they got a gun in the car. People you stop for some uh, minor violation or whatever, they got a gun in the car. How does that make you feel as a police officer? And the difference was really stark. The officer said, yeah, the people people are carrying guns down here forever. Um, a bad guy is a bad guy. A bad girl is a bad girl. You, you, you figure out who they are when you have them stopped and you take extra precautions. Um, but I got to tell you, I talked to five or six cops and at least three of them told me that they had had incidents where they were out on a stop with more than one bad guy or bad girl and a citizen popped up, officer, I have a concealed carry, I'm here to help. And they helped the officer out on the stop to you know keep everybody safe. Uh, so they didn't find it as... Um, as off-putting as up here, you know, you say, give everybody a gun. Oh, now every car stop has a gun. It's going to take a little adjustment time. Um, I would anticipate, in all honesty, when everybody carrying guns, you're going to have people uh, who are going to be drinking and carrying their gun, and they're going to show off to their friends, and they're going to shoot when they shouldn't shoot, and I think there's going to be some of that. Um, I hope it's limited, but I think overall, it's probably better for everybody. And the case in point that really stands out, go look up the statistics of how many times a gun is used to protect people, a good guy gun or a good girl gun. Uh, it's in the hundreds of thousands of incidents when people use their weapons to protect themselves and their families. Um, in Indiana recently, in a mall, a guy shows up with an AR-15 type weapon and lots and lots of ammunition. He steps into the mall and he starts firing and he kills three people. Well, there's a young man there, 22-year-old guy in that mall who has a concealed carry, because it's legal in Indiana. He has a concealed carry. He sees the active shooter shooting people down, and what does this young man do? He draws his weapon, and he fires, and he kills the active shooter before anybody else can get killed. He saved, I'm gonna tell you, if, if the guy had 40 more rounds, he would have killed 20 more people at least, right? 
And, and what do we, how do we see this portrayed? Well, first of all, the mall was one of these places that had, you know, no guns permitted to be carried in here. Well, that didn't stop the bad guy, did it? So they're saying, well, the good guy carried a gun where he shouldn't have. And the police chief applauded him for doing it. The people who run the mall thanked him for doing the right thing. So we have these ideas. We put up these things. You know, this is a no-gun area. You can't bring a gun in here. Well, bad guys could care less about your stupid sign. You think they walk up and go, I'm going to go in and shoot everybody up. Oh, it's a no-gun area. I can't go in. No, they're going to go in and kill everybody. The people who don't bring their guns are the decent rest of the citizens who go, oh, they don't want me to bring my gun. I'll leave it locked in the car or I'll leave it home. This young man didn't do that. He carried his concealed weapon anyway into the mall, and thank God he did. Because when the bad guy started shooting, this kid drew his weapon and took out the shooter and saved countless numbers of lives. And I'm glad he's being seen as a hero. But he's not being seen as a hero everywhere. Uh, I saw some, some of our friends on the left commentating, saying, you know, who does this guy think he is? They're calling him a hero. He killed a guy. Well, think about it. Who did he kill? He killed an active shooter. Uh, it, it, this, was, this is not like he, the guy just pulled his gun and shot three kids sitting in, the, in, a, in their baby carriages or he shot a guy shopping. Uh, he killed an active shooter. He did the right thing. He protected lots of lives. So we're going to see more and more about uh, the concealed carry as it comes out because we see different states trying to respond differently, trying to get, do a get around. We talked about this last week, about a get around on the, the gun permits, and uh, it's probably not going to work out. Everybody needs to be trained, and I think if people are out there, we can maybe stop some of this crime. So listen, that's my thoughts on the day today. I appreciate everybody being here. Uh, I have still more work to do here in Long Island, but I'll be back to God's country, New Jersey, uh, before you know it. So I want to thank you all for coming. This is uh, Lieutenant Joe here for Chasing Justice. And remember, be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. We'll see you next time here on Chasing Justice on the America Out Loud Radio Network.